Now, if you have something to take notes with, we're starting a brand new series today. If you have something to write a few thoughts down, maybe something will stick out to you and you can take it and remember, maybe use your phone for that, that's fine. You know, we've all been wrong about something before, right? It might be shocking to some of you, but you've actually been wrong about something before. And I've been wrong about something before. And sometimes it's not because we wanted to be wrong. Sometimes it's because we lack the information. And so maybe you feel that way about the subject of sex. We're starting a new series today called Sex, God's Gift. You know, maybe it goes back for you all the way to the, um, the stories you heard as a child, where do babies come from. You know, maybe you were told or saw the cartoons or whatever that this long-legged, long-beaked bird called a stork would take a little baby in linen and fly from Never Never Land and come and drop the baby off at the porch and ring the doorbell, and that's how everybody knew it was time to have kids. Uh, maybe, how many of you have heard that story? Yes, you've heard of the story. Not, not giving your family a black eye or nothing. You've heard of it. All right. So that, that story maybe was told because um, we didn't know what else to say. Maybe it was told because we wanted to push the conversation off, you know, till the kids got a little bit older. Uh, when I was a kid, I can tell you nobody talked about sex. Nobody. Like, I grew up in one of those houses where we spelled it. Anybody? And I thought, it's a three-letter word. I mean, it's not that complicated. And it was always with a whisper. You Like, you can't say it with the tone of your voice. That's... Don't do that. And the church I grew up in, I can tell you, nobody in our church ever... I can never remember one time in my entire life in a youth Sunday school, in a kid's setting, in an adult setting, in a sanctuary in a sermon i can't remember ever hearing one time anything taught or preached or anything on the subject of sex ever now i can remember four or five sermons on the blasphemy of the holy spirit which as i looked around the room when i was a kid didn't look like anybody in the room had ever committed that or ever would of course come to think of it, it didn't look like anybody in the room was having sex either so you know I, I thought there might be some correlation there i don't know just a bunch of dried up church people in there you know what i mean my introduction to sex came about through conversations around me. You know, you're in the neighborhood goofing off and some kid says, you're a virgin. You, I am not. You go, what, what is that? <laughs> I am not from Virginia. <laughs> and for all the people who wouldn't talk about sex, I did find one group that would. Middle school boys. Middle school boys will talk about it. And I still remember an older kid in my neighborhood when I was about like 12, somewhere around 12-ish. I don't think I was 13 yet. I don't remember. Somewhere around that area, a kid in the neighborhood found a pornographic magazine and showed it to me. And, and, and I can still remember that day like it was yesterday. He showed it to me. I remember opening that and thinking, you do what? <laughs> they did what? How? how, how do... and, and man, I can only tell you that that was such a gigantic moment in my life because it felt like like I have found the cure to cancer. I found the mystery of the universe and nobody can know. Nobody can know. I can never tell anybody about this moment. Nobody can know. I've got to hide it because nobody can ever know about this because I don't think anybody else actually knows about it. I don't know where the magazine came from. Uh, Martians, I guess. But I don't think anybody else actually knows about this. So I can remember... Uh, I tore a couple of pages out and I thought, I've got to get this as far away from my house and my mama as I can. 
And I rode down two city blocks on my bike, I think further than I was even allowed to ride on my bike at the time. And I went in somebody's yard who I didn't even know, and I saw, because I, I was just, you know, thinking, what am I going to do with this? Uh, th- this is like toxic, it's dynamite, it's going to blow up. I thought, what am I going to do with this? And I found in somebody's yard some rocks, like decorative rocks. So I lifted them up, folded up real small, and stuck it under there and hid it and rode away. And as I was at home for days, those pictures and those thoughts circulated in my mind. And I was trying to figure out, what am I going to do about that? And eventually, curiosity took over and said, I'm going to go back and look at it again. And I rode back down there. And, and, and I kind of hid and I kind of circled the block a few times, make sure no, it was a very covert operation. And I rode up in there in the ditch, hid my bike in there, and I lifted it up, and I was horrified they were gone. And I told nobody, I thought, I got on my bike and I blazed out of there, and I thought, man, I'm gone. I never, I never want to be around here again. You know, to this very day, to this very day, if I choose to, I can still pull those pictures up that I first saw. At 12, this very day, I can pull them up in my mind. The impression that that leaves. The impact that that leaves. My introduction to sex came through middle school boys and a few pages torn out of a pornographic magazine. Now, I just want to let that, I want to let this hang in the air for a minute. My philosophy and theology of sex was set by 6th and 7th grade boys. Now, how many of you think that's a good idea? That is like not a good idea. But I dare say most people in our times learn it wrong first and then have to relearn it right. Now, I'm going to take a poll, but I'm not, it's not going to be a poll that's going to embarrass you. But I just want to know how many of you in the room think this isn't a theology question. This is my opinion. You can disagree and it's okay. How many of you think that most people in our day and age first learn it wrong and then have to relearn it right? How many of you think that? Well, I just want you to keep them up and I want you to look around. It's okay if you don't. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means you're wrong. That's all what it means. But look, look, look around. Like almost everybody, like almost everybody thinks that. We are inundated with wrong information about sex on a constant basis. And the sexual climate in our country has gotten so aggressive. No matter what choices you make, I guarantee you, you are more desensitized to sexual things than 50, people were 50 years ago because you're overexposed. You and I live in a culture where it's everywhere. The grocery store, on your phone, an email, and on the website, and a magazine, just on and on. Movies and, and TV shows. But the world is lying to us about sex. They tell us to live for the moment. What they don't tell us is moments turn into memories and memories last for life. Live for the moment, they say. Live for the moment. It'll be fun. Our culture teaches us that people are only here to meet our needs. That, that, that women are seen as sexual objects and, and men are, are sex-craved animals that can be manipulated and in that way are security objects. And too often the only people talking about it, uh, 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 the only people not talking about it is the church. You know, I, maybe you got the email I sent out this week. I sent an email just to try to inform you that this is what we're going to be talking about today. If, if, if you didn't get it, it just means we don't have your email address or it's in your spam folder or you thought, 
you saw the word sex and thought a porno group was trying to get you and you deleted it. I don't know. But something happened this week that's never happened. Before we even started the series, I had multiple emails in my inbox saying, hey, can we catch this on podcast? Never had anybody ask for a series before it even started. So I'm telling you, everybody's talking about it, but sometimes in the church we don't. Now, as a young believer coming from a fairly non-Christian background, I was shocked the first 10 years I was a Christian to, to learn all the things that God was interested in, had an opinion on, and had truth to reveal to me about. See, I, I thought that God cared about my... I thought He cared about Sunday, and I thought He cared about spiritual life, I thought He cared about my soul, and I thought He cared about heaven. That's the only things I really knew for sure that God cared about. I had to learn the rest... I didn't know that God cared about relationships and work and sex and money and health. I thought you were on your own on all that stuff. I was pleasantly surprised to find that God has truth to give us on all these things. Now, too many times in the church we've taken two approaches to sex. I'm going to put them on the screen so that you can see them. The first approach is, you know, either we're silent, right? We don't, we spell it. We whisper it. We don't say it. We don't talk about it. In other words, it's kind of, hey, look, sex is an ugly, dirty, nasty thing. Save it for the one you love. I'm not really sure how that works. Or we scream about it. So in other words, we're not going to talk about it till something goes wrong. And then we're going to hammer it. And then we're going to pound. Let a teenage girl get pregnant and see what happens. We're not going to talk about it, but we're going to scream about it then. Let somebody have an affair and see what happens. Let somebody confess to same-sex attraction and see what happens. Two people start living together, and now we're going to talk about it. And it might be all that you can do to even keep your seat and not say back to me, but they need to know the truth. Yes, I agree with you. They need to know the truth, but they need to know it in conversation, not in condemnation. It's a whole different thing. So, I'm going to give you a test this morning. It's a multiple choice. Just to kind of get to the foundation of this. Uh, and I'll put it on the screen. Who created sex? Like I even bolded the right answer to just kind of give you an advantage. So that you, you, you would be ahead. Because I'm not a good test taker. And I'm just sympathetic for those of you like me. But did the devil create sex? Did God create sex? Or did people create sex? See, see, God... Okay, so this series is called Sex, God's Gift. It's his, it's his invention. It's his idea. Regardless of what we've done with it, it's, it, this is where it started. So Genesis chapter 4 verse 1, let's go back to the beginning and see how this was created. Adam made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Now, this is probably not a scripture you were taught in Sunday school, kids' church, right? Because I don't, this doesn't work on a flannel graph. You know what I'm saying? I don't really know how you put the people in the right. You can't do that. Then you have to have meetings and people get fired and it doesn't. That's not going to work. So you probably weren't taught this in kids' church. But this is a very interesting scripture when you look at it in Hebrew. Adam made love to his wife. Maybe a translation you're reading says Adam, Adam knew his wife. It doesn't matter. All the same thing. It comes from a very powerful Hebrew word called yada. 
I'm hoping that somebody in the room will remember three or four, maybe five weeks ago, when we were in the change series, and I told you about the word, the Hebrew word yada, in a different con- context. Naaman, who was the le- a general in a foreign nation, was sick with leprosy. He came to Israel. He found Elijah. Uh, Elijah prayed. God did a miracle. And Naaman was healed of leprosy. And Naaman, who didn't even worship God or believe in God or think God was even the right God. After God healed him of leprosy, he said, And now I know that there is no other God than the God of Israel. And that word know is the word yadah. And now I know. I don't just intellectually know this. This isn't knowledge. I experience this. I know God is real because I've experienced Him. I know God is a healer because He healed me. I yada God. Same word. Adam yada his wife. This is not just a physical transaction. This is a spiritual and emotional and, and a full life thing. So let me give you this morning... Um, what I'm just going to call the circle of successful sex. You got to say that slow. The circle of successful sex. So this is the circle where the best sex happens and the most successful sex happens, and it's husband and wife. And everything outside that circle, everything begins to dilute and to pervert and get wrong. And the reason that it's wrong is because God said it was wrong. But the reason that God said it was wrong is because it doesn't lead to the security and commitment and trust and yada that God established for us to have. Anything outside that circle is wrong because it's less than God intended. The world will tell you it's more, it's better, it's greater. God says no, it's worse and it's less. It's not more. Now, you may look at this circle, our world looks there and say, how limiting, how narrow-minded. No, actually, it's very liberating. I can tell you as a pastor, every problem that I've seen of a sexual nature, 100% of them is because somebody stepped outside the circle. Somebody stepped outside of the circle. Stepping outside the circle has never improved your life. It's never helped your relationship with God. And it comes with guilt, pain, and shame. Watch this eventually. Now, now what happens is, we're in the circle, we get close to the edge, and we put one foot over and we say, the sky didn't fall. Nothing happened. Maybe it's a myth. Maybe the world's right. Maybe what I see on TV is right. Maybe if I just have it both ways a little longer, things will get better. We put another foot up. We say, well, let's see, nothing happened. Eventually. If not immediately, eventually, when you step outside the circle, just because the sky didn't fall the day you did it, doesn't mean it's not going to fall. It will cause pain and shame and guilt. So this morning, just to set the series up, we're going to read from a book of the Bible I guarantee you you've never heard a sermon from. Some of you already know what it is. Song of Solomon. You've never had anybody say to you, man, I'm having the best time in my devotions. Where are you studying? Song of Solomon. Praise God. Could have somebody come and do a soap reading from Song of Solomon. I ain't going to do that. And if you have heard a sermon from it, I guarantee you it's been taken out of context. 
probably misinterpreted. I was told when I was younger, the Song of Solomon is an allegory that was symbolic of Jesus' relationship to the church. Have you read it? There's some stuff in there I cannot see Jesus saying to the church. It won't hold up under interpretation. Now, when I was in college, I took Hebrew poetry class. And in Hebrew poetry class, which I I just about quit ministry in the middle of that class. But one of the things we did do is we studied this book. And the professor asked us, why is this book in the Bible? My first thought was, I don't know, you're the teacher, tell us. My second thought was, nobody's going to tell you what they really think. Nobody did, we just sat there and stared at him. And the third reason that came to my mind that that book's in the Bible that I now understand is true is to make pastors very nervous. That's what it does. So with great fear this morning and in trepidation, we're going to read several passages from the Song of Solomon. So the Song of Solomon is about a husband and a wife, and they're, and they're talking to each other. He'll talk for a while, she'll talk for a while, he'll talk for a while, she'll talk for a while. And, and we'll just look at how that works. So turn to Song of Solomon chapter 1, and we're going to read, um, read a lot of passages. Okay, We're just going to kind of walk through the book. Uh, not all of it, but, but some of it. Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, this is her talking. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more desi- delightful than wine. So she's direct, right? I mean, we're just, she's not kidding around. Pleasing is the fragrance. Look at this. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. I didn't know that I had a smell till I got married. Any guys? I mean, like my mom tried to tell me, I went through middle school, and you stink, boy, you got to get in the shower. You know, right? Every boy goes through that age where you're just going to stink for a couple of years. If you're a mom and you've never had a middle school boy and you got one now, it will pass. You bleach him, you hose him off, it don't matter. He's always going to stink. There's nothing you can do about that. He's just going to stink because that's how God made him. He's going to stink. Or the fall of man, something causes that. He's just going to stink. But I never knew I had a good smell until I got married. So they say, you smell good. I didn't know... I didn't know what to do with that. Really? Is that, am I a girl now? I don't know what that, is that good? Like, I don't know what that, look, you go into Cracker Barrel, I can tell you who's over there by the Yankee candle smelling them, it's all the girls. No guy I know buys candles from Cracker Barrel. Right? It's always all the girls over there, all the ladies over there buying the candles, because they love scent and smell, and hey, look, I'm going to tell you, the best thing you can do for your marriage, men, take a shower. It will increase... Positive things. Multiple times. I'm going to move on. She said, your name is like perfume poured out. Now, this is important. She's not saying your reputation. That's what we usually hear when we think of name in the Old Testament. She's not saying your reputation. uh, That's what people think you are. She's saying your name, your character. Your character is like an enticing perfume. Why? Because she is secure and she trusts him because she knows him. You're a good man. You have integrity. You have character. You're going to do the right thing. You're not going to lie to me. You're going to be honest. Look, if you're a single dude in the place and you want to be married one day, start working on your character now. You cannot fake character. You can fake a lot of stuff. You're not going to fake character. 
So start working on your character. Follow God and let Him produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and, and ladies, I want to tell you, if you're single and you're dating, and you're dating a guy that doesn't have character or has big, a big gap in his character, can I just go ahead and tell you, it's not going to go away. Until he meets Jesus head on and has a massive miracle happen in his life, it's like not naturally going away. So, so my advice to you is run. When he meets Jesus, maybe you'll think about coming back. But not now. Chapter 1, verse 4, she's talking. She says, take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me in to his chambers. Now look, there are women in the room. You're sitting here, you're married, and you're saying, now remember, it's husband and wife. It's in the circle, right? Talking about the circle. And you say, I, I couldn't say anything like that to my husband. That's dirty. And I'm telling you, he's sitting beside you thinking, oh God, make her dirty. Please. Jesus' name. Make her dirty. You don't have to wonder what he's praying. There's not a man in the room that if you're on your way home from church today, you're driving down the road and you say to him, hurry, hurry, let's go home and take me into your chamber. That man would have a wreck. There'd be wrecks all over Shelby County. I promise you. Verse 5. She says in chapter 2, verse 5, Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. In other words, I, I'm so drunk on this, like I'm famished. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Now, why is this? Why did I read this part? And why is this awesome? Because they're communicating. They're communicating. Now, let me give you a little formula this morning if you're taking notes right now. Communication plus commitment equals intimacy. Communication plus commitment equals intimacy. Anybody can have sex, but very few people have intimacy. You have to learn how to communicate. I'm going to give you my theory. It's only opinion, not a psychologist and not even a great theologian, but I give you my opinion. My opinion is in every marriage, one of you is a good communicator and the other one's not as good a communicator. Let me say it another way. One of you is not a good communicator and the other one communicates a lot, but not the way you want to be communicated to. And so communication is sort of like a dance. I have to learn your moves, and you have to learn mine. How did you mean that when you said that? I didn't like the tone that you used there. This is how I felt when you said that. Well, you didn't say anything, so I didn't know what that meant. And you have to learn, like a dance, how to communicate. And communication inside the circle of commitment creates great intimacy. So just want to say to you, pulling off my roots as a youth pastor all those years, never had a daughter, but boy, we had a lot of daughters in our youth ministry. And I would say to them, any of you single ladies, first date, he takes you to a movie. There ought not to be a second one. Because if he doesn't have the interest in you as a person to put any energy in communicating. We're just going to go sit there and stare at the screen and see what's on there. And if he doesn't put any effort or creativity in, let me get to know who you are, let me hear your ideas, let me talk, let's share, let's communicate. If he didn't put any planning into, what are some interesting things we could talk about? 
He's too lazy to do that. That shouldn't be a second date. Communication plus commitment equals intimacy because this formula gets at what's real. Communication uncovers things, gets to the bottom of it, and gets to what's real. Why is it important to be... Look, guys, this is what happens when you're looking at pornography, and this is why it's so damaging. It tears away at the commitment with your wife because it introduces fantasy. And it covers up what's real. That girl on the screen's not real. She's paid. It's not real. And it covers it up. In the same way, ladies, this is why reading these over-the-top, overt romance novels and things like Fifty Shades of Grey is so bad because it introduces fantasy in your mind about how your husband ought to be. And it covers up what's real. Look, I guarantee you if you're single, the path to intimacy is purity. The path to future intimacy is present purity. You seek purity and it will lead you to intimacy. If you want to experience not just sex, but intimacy, yada, then pursue Purity and, and pursuing purity is a fight. I mean, let's be honest. That circle that we put up there, that's not easy. And it's harder than ever in our culture. I don't think the average woman in the room has any foggy idea how hard her husband works at staying pure. And we're in a different setting. <laughs> he would amen me, but he's scared to because you're sitting there. But I'm telling you, I don't think the average woman has any concept the struggle that we live in in our times and how hard guys work to maintain purity. It's tough, but can I tell you, it's worth the fight. On the other hand, I don't think the average man has any concept of the damage that he's able to do in his marriage and in his wife's soul when he introduces impurity. I don't think you have any way to, I don't think I have any way, I don't think you have any way to understand how damaging that is. Chapter 5, verse 10. Now things continue to move. She says, my beloved is radiant and ruddy. I, I, I think that's a compliment. Outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams washed in milk. Mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory decorated with lapsus lazula. How you say that? Lazula. I don't know. That's a good thing, I guess. But look at this girl, man. She is going off. She's saying, you are the junk. You've been to the gym. You've been working out. And you are... You are awesome. You're the man. You're not a man. You're the man. Everybody wants to be the man. Every man wants to be the man. Right? I know what happens. You're standing in there. You, you say you, you, you stubbed your toe. Come you've been looking in the mirror, squeezing. That's what you've been doing. Everybody knows that. Ladies, you've got to understand the power you have. Here's what our culture tells women. You are powerful when you are sensual. That's what our culture tells women. Let me tell you the truth. Your real power to influence and encourage and build your husband up is in your words. 
You have phenomenal power in your words. Every man at some point in his life feels like he doesn't measure up. Every man at some point feels like that he can't be the man he wants to be. God put you there to dispel that myth. And say, no, no, you're the man. You lie if you have to. You are the man. You tell him. You're the man. You know, how many one-trippers we got here? You take the groceries in, you're a one-tripper. Anybody? One-tripper, you know what I'm talking about? 71 bags on each. If you got something sticking out, there's like off your ears, right? Off your keychain, off your pocket, off your shoe. You got a bag coming out. I'm not going back to the car. I mean, either it comes out now or it's staying. Come in with all that. Your wife sits there, looks at you and goes, Did you bring all that in by yourself? You're like, why, yes, I did. I sure did bring it in. Look at all the cans in this bag right here. Check out the frozen peas over here. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. You have no idea the power you have to, to help your husband fill his potential. Just with the wor- words of encouragement. Chapter 515, she's still talking. His legs are like pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He's altogether lovely. Listen to this. This, this is what she's saying. She's, she's talking. This is my beloved. This is my friend. Daughters of Jerusalem. Can I tell you, Stacy and I, my wife and I, have never gotten it all right. But I'll tell you one thing that I'm enormously proud of. And it's how our relationship started. We started as friends. And I'm so proud of that. As I look back over the years, we built a good friendship before we ever dated. And our relationship has continued to build on that friendship. And we've gone through rough times and we've gone through, and we've gone through good times. But whether the times are good or bad, we've stayed good friends. And she's saying this about her lover. He is my, he is my friend. A couple of years ago when, when Stacy started to uh, battle with this disease that she's battling, and we were trying to figure out how to fight it, we were sitting down with a counselor and saying, hey, something's going on and we don't know what's going on and maybe you can help us. And in one of the sessions when we were talking the counselor looked at us and laughed and she said, you know what, you two really are compatible. She said, you're great friends. And that just, man, I can't tell you what that did to my soul. I went good, good, good. The first few years that we were married, we didn't have children for about four and a half, five years. We didn't plan to do this, but we'd lay, lay in bed at night. When it was time to go to sleep, we'd lay in bed at night and we'd just talk till we fell asleep. And we did that every night for years. I don't remember what we talked about. She probably don't remember what we talked about. No idea. But you know what we were learning? We were learning how to communicate with each other. And, and I can't even remember when I woke up in the morning what we talked about. And I can't even remember how long we talked. We just fall asleep. And until our youngest son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and we couldn't, we couldn't do this anymore, we would have a date night. Thursday night was our date night for 13 years. Every week. I'm talking about 45 to, to 46 or 7 weeks a year. Every Thursday night was date night. And we go out and we did. Sometimes, you know, we're poor. We go to the mall and walk. <laughs> but we were together. And we do stuff. Sometimes we see a movie, sometimes we wouldn't. We, 
But, but we were building a friendship that now that these years go by, I'm very proud of. And guys, I want you to know something. Men, friendship is a great foundation to build a relationship on. And sometimes you need to remember, instead of always being her lover or being the man of the house, sometimes you just need to be her friend. That dynamic of the relationship needs to grow. And ladies, sometimes you need to remember instead of being him, maybe being the gopher or the guy that gets stuff done, or maybe you being his mom, sometimes he just needs you to be his friend. And that goes both ways. So, you know, I want to say, as we're kind of talking about communication, guys, your words matter too. You know, maybe your theory is, well, well, the day we got married, I told her I loved her. And if that changes, I'll let her know. Like, that's not going to get it. That, you've got to have communication. We have to pursue her with our words right now. Let's, let's wrap up and let's go to what he says. Chapter 7, verse 1. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. I just want to hear how many women in the room. You notice a woman's shoes, you touched her soul. Come on. Come on, right? I, got, I own more pair of shoes today than I've ever owned in my life, and I think it's somewhere like eight. Like, I'm, my closet's busting over. There ain't a woman in this room that owns eight shoes. I can tell you that. Eighty, maybe. Eight hundred, somebody. But you look here and you say, Hey, I notice your feet. I notice the sandals on your feet. What's he saying? I notice the details. I notice the little things. He's pursuing her because he cares about her. He cares about the details, which means he cares about her. He's paying attention to this. Now, everybody single in the room, this is where you got to stop listening and we're getting to the married stuff now. Husband and wife, husband and wife, husband and wife circle. He says in verse 2, Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is like a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. So, girl, you've been working out. You've been to the gym. I'm going to let you read verse 3 silently to yourself. You should see the things in Song of Solomon I didn't put on the screen. Don't send me no emails. You open the Bible and read it. What is this saying? He is attracted to her. He's attracted to her. He loves her. He wants her. He desires her. He is attracted to her. His his wife is his standard of beauty. He says to her, when I think of beauty, you know what I think of? You. I think of you. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. Chapter 7, verse 10. I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give my love to you. She's not mixing words, is she? See, he just pulled the horse off the road and had a wreck. The mandrakes send out their fragrance, and in our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you. He says, she says, I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. Notice the security that is in the circle. Husband and wife in the circle. This woman is about to have sex with her husband outside. Everybody afraid to say amen, aren't they? All the guys. 
I'm not suggesting it. I'm just saying it. Look, that's before Instagram, Facebook. All right, I'm just saying. What is many people on earth back then? You know what I'm saying? You could, anyway, so she's saying she feels the freedom with her husband because intimacy has been created through communication and commitment and character. And there's a safety. She says, I have saved this for you. You are my beloved. Hypothetically, I'd ask you to do this. Hypothetically, if you were to write down a journal of your sexual history, would it have this much freedom and laughter and joy? in it or would it be filled with regret and pain and shame because what you just read this morning is basically a journal of a sexual history and it feels so different than what we see on TV and it feels so different than what our culture tells us and it feels so different than so much of what we've experienced this morning a journal, what would it sound like? Maybe you're here today and you feel like, I can't be the husband or the wife that I want to be and I need to be because at some point I've stepped outside the circle. Maybe you're even single when you step outside the circle. Maybe you didn't step outside the circle. Maybe somebody drug you outside the circle. It wasn't even, it wasn't even your fault. Jesus doesn't just save us from hell. He also rescues us from living a meaningless life of regret now. And He can heal. And He can restore. And He can deliver. A couple years ago, I was on my way into the church office. And I had my cell phone. I had a bunch of junk in my arms. And I had my cell phone like this, pinned between my ear and my shoulder, trying to talk. Because just as I was on my way into an appointment and how my arms were loaded with a bunch of junk, the nurse from our school called, our son's type 1 diabetic, and so she had to call most days and we had to talk about what we were going to do with insulin and all of that because uh, if we didn't, it could really ruin his health. And so she calls at the worst possible time, not her fault, and I got the phone there, and I'm running like this, talking. And, and I'm saying, what now? What did you say? And as I come through the door, you're, my clothes were slick or something, and it just shot the phone out. You can see it just pinched it and shot it out. And it landed on the ground, and I don't know if this ever happens to you. It happens to me every time I'm a technology gorilla. I, like, break things. They send it to me to see if it'll survive. And it hit the ground and shattered into about, you know, 800 pieces. <laughs> Battery, phone, buttons, everything just goes the right direction. And I thought, oh, my Lord, she's on the phone. She's at the school. He's standing there at the office. What, what, what am I going to do? I put the phone back together. I kind of get it. I got the light back on. It's resetting and reloading. And you're like, oh, my Lord, please. And then it, and then it dawned on me. Why don't I just put all this junk down? 
take care of what matters most. And why don't I just talk on the phone? Can I tell you that was what Jesus does? He says, why don't you just put all the junk down? Why don't you just let, let all the junk go down? Put it down. And just deal with what matters most. And just let Him help you. So, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. And, and I, I want to ask our prayer team to come. And I, I, I want to... I know we're right at time where service normally gets out, but I... Like, this moment's more important than any moment the whole morning. Because this is the moment where things in your life can change. And this is the moment where healing can come. And this is the moment where God can do in your life what He wants to do. But you have to give Him the chance. Okay? So every eye closed. I'm not going to keep you long. But you're here this morning and something, something just registered in your heart. We're not asking you to embarrass yourself or confess anything you don't want to confess. But there is a need in your heart for Jesus to touch you. There's a need in your heart for something to be healed or changed. That's, that's it. If that's true, I just want you to lift your hand. And I just want you to say, that's me. That's me. Maybe your fault may not be your fault. It may not even have to do directly with what we're even talking about. You just lift your hand back up and say, yeah, that's me. Man, I, I, I know the statistics, so I know there are a lot. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and, and I'm going to dismiss everybody. But I want the prayer team to stay, and I'm going to ask you when I dismiss everybody, I'm going to ask you to come find somebody to pray with you. That's it. I'm not asking you to put yourself in a bad spot. But man, there's got to be a way for you to heal. There's got to be a way for you to move on. There's got to be a way. And so we'll, our prayer team will just be here and wait for you. And, and as everybody leaves, I just want you to slip out and, and move. And you can say whatever you want to say. You can make the need as generic as you want it. You can make it as strong as you want We're ready to pray with you. Lord, I thank you today that you are not a God of shame, but you are a God of dignity and you are a God of peace. And I pray in this series that you would show us the purity and the good intention that you had in giving us this gift and that it was made by you and it was made for us. God, I just pray that you would pull away the covering of shame and you would let goodness and mercy and healing and peace flow in this room this morning. We love you today. God, do what only you can do now. I can't do what needs to be done now. Only you can do it. So we look to you to do it. In Jesus' name. If you lifted your hand or you need to come, you can come now. If you need to be dismissed, God bless you. We love you. It's great to have you here this morning.